0: 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This first hour we were in uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, This morning we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Just kind of as a launching pad. um, Last couple weeks, um, Pastor Jeff has been kind of doing uh, some helicopter tours, is what he kind of mentioned last week. Helicopter tour over the different baptisms in the Bible uh, a couple weeks ago, and then uh, last week he did a helicopter tour over uh, the eight covenants of the Bible. Um, This morning we're going to do a little bit of a helicopter tour as well. We're going to keep with that theme. Should have called this whole series Helicopter Tours in the Bible. Uh, But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, once you get there, if you would stand and join me as we read. Really, they're just the first three verses here um, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter three, and uh, verse number one says this, and here's Paul talking to the church at Corinth, and he said, "And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnals, I'm sorry, as but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto, ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are able are ye able." For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And kind of want to zero in on uh, verse 1 and 2 where it says, um, uh, verse 1 especially, uh, I speak unto you as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the time that we have together this morning. I pray that it be profitable to help us to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For some of us, this may be a little harder to do than others, but do you remember when you were a little child? This may, again, be a little more difficult than others uh, to think back to when you were a little child, but remember when you were little and wanting to, wanting everyone to think that you're older than you actually were? You know, we're when someone when you were only seven and said are you eight and you were all proud of that fact yes i am (laughs) well i'm only seven but thank you for thinking i'm eight well now we're in a mode most of us to where when people think we're older than we actually are we get a little offended (laughs) Um, and so that's kind of a fun uh fun change that happens i'm not sure what age that happens at but it does happen um, I'll never forget when my daughter, Faith, was about two years old. And I told her, you know, you can't do something, I don't remember exactly what it was, because she was just too young. Well, her response was classic. She said, Daddy, I'm not a baby. And uh, she indeed was not a baby, but she was still way too young to do what she wanted to do. Now, the moment you became a believer in Christ and became a Christian was the same moment you were born again. And Jesus said... Uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. Uh, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And as a Christian, the moment you believe in Christ, the same moment you're born into God's family. It's this wonderful moment. You became a babe in Christ. Now, hopefully, since that day, you have grown up in your faith. Hopefully, you've taken some important steps like baptism, which uh, three, of, three of you did a couple weeks ago, and that was awesome. That was wonderful. Um, church membership or uh, church attendance, giving financially, uh, witnessing for Christ. Uh, those are some steps that we need to be making in our Christian life. Now, we know that God desires, desires for us to continue to grow in our faith. It's part of his plan. Um, as he's writing here in, uh, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, He's saying, I, I wish you had grown up because I want to give you some important things, but you can't bear it right now because you're still struggling at the little basic things of the Christian life because he says here in verse 3, uh, you're a yet carnal. There's still envying and strife and divisions. Um, he's, he's saying, man, you're still struggling on the basic things. Let, let's get past that and start growing to where you can really start um, eating the meat of the word of God. And he said, I wanted to I wanted to give you meat, but I had to give you milk. I had to give you basic things to fend off some of the things that you're dealing with. God expects us to grow. He desires for us to grow. It's a natural thing for a Christian to grow. Just like it is a natural thing for a baby, a physical baby, to eventually grow. The first stage is when mom and dad have to do everything for them. Feed, change, burp, everything. They have to do everything for the child. Can't do anything on their own. And then eventually they start becoming independent. Being able to feed themselves and that's a wonderful moment. Although that transition time is a little messy. But we're still grateful for the fact that we don't have to constantly be putting a spoon or a fork in their face. And then we can focus on eating ourselves. And then eventually they start learning how to walk and and they start learning how to dress themselves. And and boy, that potty training time, that is an exciting transition as well. Um, Lots of stories we could share there. Um, But I'm thankful that all of our children have grown out of diapers, praise the Lord. It's natural. Growth is natural. As Christians, it's also natural. It's also supposed to happen. Second um, Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. We're going to come back to it later, but uh, Peter ends his book with, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to turn over there with me because this is kind of a key, key passage here on the expectation of growth. And we're going to come back to this later in the message as well, but I want us to see it here just at the beginning Um, Hebrews chapter number 5 and verse number 11. And this is kind of right in the middle of a lot of doctrinal truth. Here the writer of Hebrews kind of puts a parenthesis here and says, you know, and here's what he says in verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and are hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uh, useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised in both good and evil. Now, a, a newborn baby can't handle a ribeye. Um, that, that just won't work. Okay, but hopefully, eventually, that baby grows to the point where he can handle a ribeye. Because if not, he's missing out in life. Okay? Same is true for a Christian. You know, the, the day he gets saved probably is not the day to go through the eight covenants of the Bible, like we heard um, last week. Um, but eventually, let's get to those so that we can better understand the Word of God. Because if not, you're missing out. Okay? And that's what, he's, that's what he's saying. And also, uh, there needs to be some growth in you to where you're starting to then not just need to hear all the time, but eventually start giving out. And we'll go through that here in a minute. See, Paul desired to grow as well in his Christian life. Um, this was something that he had a desire for. He didn't feel like he had arrived and, and he was there. He no longer needed to grow. Not at all. No, yeah. Philippians chapter number 3, uh, verse number... Uh, 12, not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus in verse 13. Here it is. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Look, I haven't arrived. I haven't apprehended. I have not attained. And here's what he does. I forget those things which are behind and reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I need to grow. Song we sang at the very beginning of the service this morning. Higher ground. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. There is a um, There should be a healthy discontentment with where we are in our relationship with the Lord. We need to be content with the fact that He's our Savior and that we're on our way to heaven and our sins are forgiven and, and, and the fact that He's a good God. We need to be content with that. But not where we are in our relationship with the Lord. Not where we are. I'm thankful for the promise uh, this morning in James where it says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And I know I'm not as close to the Lord as I want to be or should be. And so this morning, I'm hoping that this message will encourage us all to take a step closer to the Lord. And I'm grateful that if we do, he'll take a step toward us. He promises to do so. So this morning, we want to look at five traits, five indicators, five characteristics of a growing Christian. You say, well, yeah, I think I'm a growing Christian. Well, let's let these traits, these biblical traits of a growing Christian, and you kind of match your life up with them and see how many of these traits are evident in your life. And you determine whether you're really a growing Christian or not. Um, And and I hope that um, as we go through these, that you'll ask yourself if these qualities are truly evident in your life. First of all, number one, a growing Christian seeks to please God, not men. A growing Christian seeks to please God and not men. John chapter number eight. Here, Jesus, our example, the one we're supposed to follow in his steps here's what he had to say in John chapter 8 and verse number 9 or 29 I'm sorry Jesus said and he that sent me is with me the father hath not left me alone for I do always those things that please him well obviously none of us can say that perfectly like he could but but boy that should be our desire That should be the uh, goal in our life where we're more and more like that, where we're endeavoring to please the Lord and not those around us. Uh, John chapter 12 gives us an example of someone or a group of guys who failed to do this. John 12 and verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. That's wonderful. These guys got saved. These guys believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of the verse says, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So these guys, and again, I'm not going to try to criticize them because when I got saved, I wasn't going to be cast out of society which is what these guys felt like that was going to happen to them. But they decided to please men rather than God. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. <clears throat> Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, this is not an excuse for children to say, look, I don't have to obey you, Dad, because the Bible says I ought to obey God rather than men. Well, got you there because God says to obey your parents. So therefore, you need to obey us. Uh, You need to obey your parents. But when it comes to pleasing men who say, do not follow God, and following God, what are you going to do? A growing Christian decides to please God, not men. And then Paul said in Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now, now I get, and and, and as I was preparing this, I was thinking, you know, as a husband, I am supposed to please my wife. But the truth is, if I focus only on that and don't focus on pleasing God, then I'm not going to be as effective at pleasing my wife as I would be if I was focused on pleasing God, because if I'm focused on pleasing God, then I'm going to read in his word that it says that I need to please my wife. And so I'm going to do what I can and I'm going to be a more effective husband. If I focus my attention on pleasing the Lord in my life, here's another tragic example of someone who failed to do that. And I want to invite everybody to turn to Luke chapter 23 real quick with me. I'm going to look at a few verses here kind of go through a story of a man who had an opportunity to do something well, do something right. But he chose to please men and not God. Verse number one. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him, Jesus, unto Pilate. So we're going to look at the life of Pilate here and what happened around the crucifixion. He was one of the key players in the story and he had an opportunity to do something amazing. Instead, he... Listen to the crowd around him. Verse number two, they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. In other words, you tell me. Verse four, then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, Well, he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. So in verse 4 is the first time he says, I find no fault in him. All right? Jump down to verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have exam- having examined him before you, ha- have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. So the second time he says, find no fault in him. I've examined him, I've talked to him, I've interviewed him, I've interrogated him, and still I find no fault in him. Second time he said it. All right. Uh, So keep reading here. Uh, Verse 15, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. And lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. All right. And uh, verse 17, for of necessity, he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Another place says he was a robber. Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. And verse 22, and he said unto them the third time, why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And he thought, boy, third time's a charm. They're going to get it. This guy's not uh, guilty of anything. He's innocent. He doesn't need to die. They're going to get it. Well, verse 22. Um, and when he said unto them the third time, why would evil have, um, I'm sorry, verse 23. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the last part of verse 23 is super sad. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate was convinced in his mind that Jesus was innocent. Three times he said, I find no fault in him. He's not worthy of death. Don't release him. Or release him. Don't release Barabbas. Barabbas. And yet the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. In verse 24, Pilate gave sentence that it should be as it required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Wow. Now, I understand the sovereignty of God. I understand that Jesus needed to be crucified. I understand all of that. But Pilate... Had a free will at this point and he chose to listen to people he chose to please men not god he could have stuck to his guns and said i'm not going to crucify him but instead he listened to the crowd and can i just encourage us all with the fact that peer pressure is real especially young people as you get around you friends and and uh, your coworkers eventually, and, and people even in your own family. And when, when everyone is doing wrong, and encouraging you to do wrong, boy, it's difficult at that moment to please God and not men. That's why uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, told his son, Rehoboam, My son, if sinners uh, entice thee to sin, consent thou not. Please God, don't please men. Oh, it's easier said than done. And so I want to encourage you to notice that a growing Christian seeks to please God and not men. Uh, they're not as concerned with what men think. And they are about with the fact that they're going to have to answer to God. We talked about it in the first hour, the judgment seat of Christ. So how do we, that kind of leads us to the question of how do we please God? How do we please God? Well, there's uh, five ways real quickly that we can please God. First of all, living by faith. Living by faith. Hebrews 11:6. I just turn there real quickly. Without faith it is impossible to please him. You can't please God without a life of faith. It's impossible. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, Living a life of purity. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. And so he's basically saying, here's how to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. We have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So living a pure life is pleasing to God. We live in a very impure society. We've got to live a life of purity. Next, being generous. Being generous with our time and treasures and talents. Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 16 says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Communicate doesn't just mean texting and calling and emailing. No, no. Communicating is a financial transfer of money. Um, So uh, being generous with your money and time and talents as well is well-pleasing to the Lord. A life of praise. living Living a life where you're praising the Lord. Verse 15 of that same chapter. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then it says later in verse 16, such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So by praising him and then by honoring and submitting to authority, Colossians chapter three and verse 20. How can I please the Lord young people? Well, and adults um, by submitting and honoring authority in my life. Um, Children, obey your parents and all things for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. Do you want to be pleasing the Lord? Well, have a good spirit and good actions towards your parents. So a growing Christian seeks to please God, not men. Number two, another trait of a growing Christian is a growing Christian surrenders their rights. A growing Christian is willing to surrender their rights. There's a lot of Christians who say, hey, I'm saved, therefore I can do anything I want. And I'm going to, and no one can tell me differently. Well, that's wonderful, but the fact is uh, a mature, growing Christian is surrendering those rights and not demanding their rights. As an AT&T employee, I'm part of a union, and uh, there's some good things and some not so good things about being part of a union, and I was on a conference call um, with the union, and and it was, brothers and sisters, let's stand together in solidarity and, and we'll demand a fair contract and all of this nonsense. And I'm just like, hey, I'm just thankful to have a job. <laughs> uh, let's let's surrender some of those rights, you know. Um, and I'm, you know, hoping that we get a fair contract and all that. I think it'll help me out eventually. But um, a growing Christian doesn't just stand up for their rights all the time and and I'm right and you're wrong and and, 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 and you need to apologize. No, no, a growing Christian surrenders their rights. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12. Here the Apostle Paul is trying to teach this uh, carnal uh, babyish, immature church on, what to, on, on on how to be mature. And he says uh, in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, All things are lawful unto me. In other words, I have the right to do anything I want. All things are lawful. But all things are not expedient. Just because I have the right to do it doesn't mean I need to do it. I need to demand that I do. And he says, all things are lawful for me. Again, I have the right to do whatever I want, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So there are some pet things in, in, in Christians' lives that you're not going to touch this. Preacher, you can have, you, you, can, you can preach against this, you can preach against that, but don't ever preach against this in my life. Because I'm just not going to give it up. But Paul said, look, yeah, you have the right to do it, but don't ever let anything have the power over you. Um, and, you know, you, you name the, the pet issue that, you know, it, it, you're, you're struggling with or you're dealing with. Don't let that become the thing that controls you. And a lot of Christians are that way. They're, they're not going to let the preacher have, you know, you talk to me about this. You can talk to me about that. But, but this one area, don't ever try to cover that or I'm leaving the church. Don't ever don't ever hit that area because I'm just not going to do it. What's happening is that is having power over that Christian. And Paul said, I'm not going to be brought under the power of any. Now, this isn't for baby Christians. This is for a mature, growing Christian. All right. This thought. And then in chapter eight, we see this again in uh, in chapter eight, verse nine. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours, you have the right to do it, okay? Um, take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. So, in, and in this, in this instance, it was eating meat that was offered to idols, and some Christians thought it was okay, some Christians thought it was horrible. How could you do such a thing? That is the worst thing you could possibly eat, And other Christians are like, these idols aren't real so I'm going to eat it because it tastes great and it's a good price. And that's what this church was struggling with. There was a division in the church and some said, I don't see any problem with this. It's no big deal. Good price on meat. Tastes great. And we can feed our family for way less. And others were saying, that's blasphemous. Did you know that meat was sacrificed to idols that are totally against our God? Well, yeah, but they're not real and There is a division in the church among all that. Paul says, look, take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. Those that think that it's a bad thing, you know, why don't you just go to a different grocery store that hasn't been offered to idols and go buy that meat? It may be a little bit more, but then you're not going to offend your brother. Um, A growing Christian surrenders their right. Yeah, you have the right to go eat this meat. But if it's going to offend a brother, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? That extra savings of money. Why don't you stop just caring about yourself and think about your brother? Now, this can get, we all know this can get a little overboard. Where you're walking on eggshells and you can't make your own decisions because you're worried about what other people think. That goes back to the first point. Seeking to please God and not men. But if you know it's going to be a stumbling block, then don't do it. Don't demand your rights. Growing Christian surrenders them. We can talk about this with entertainment choices, duress choices, the, maybe what's considered the gray areas of life. And I like what our pastor says. When there's gray, there's a smidgen of black involved, of darkness. So why do it when, there's, when it's questionable? If you're wondering if you should, then you probably shouldn't. And you're never going to be faulted for taking the higher road in this one. And can I just say this? Uh, Those of us who maybe are a little further along in this um, area, to be careful of a critical, judgmental spirit, because that's obviously a symptom of pride. Um, We need to be very careful of that. And... Those of us who maybe are struggling to surrender some of these rights, can I remind us all this morning that there was someone else who surrendered his. His name was Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. And he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. So Jesus surrendered some of the rights that he had. He made himself of no reputation. He didn't say, hey, I'm Jesus around here. I'm God. Therefore, you all need to do what I ask you to do. He didn't do that. He could have. He would have been right to do so. But instead, he surrendered those rights. And you and I as growing Christians... We need to not just hold on to petty things we need to surrender some of those rights a growing christian number three a growing christian shares the truth a growing christian shares the truth and we read this at the very beginning um, hebrews chapter number five again and you don't have to turn over there but in verse number 12 for when the time ye ought to be teachers ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of god there become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You see, there needs to come a point in your Christian life where you're not having to have a bunch of teachers all the time. Now, we need to be taught. We need to have a submissive spirit to the spiritual authority in our life. But there needs to come a point where now we're starting to train others and and share the truth with others and teach others, teach our children and and teach our brothers and sisters even and and this doesn't mean you need to be standing behind this pulpit and preaching a message It doesn't mean you need to teach a Sunday school class but it needs to be where you're able to articulate the truth of God's word to others second Peter or second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also see there's a Supposed to be a, a process where we get to the point where we're now able to share the truth with others. Are you able to share the truth with others? The Hebrews weren't. They still needed the milk. And it was like, come on, you guys should be growing to the point now where you can start teaching others. And they hadn't done it so. Times reporter of uh, New Philadelphia, Ohio, reported in September, 1985, a celebration of a New Orleans municipal pool. Party around the pool was held to celebrate the first summer in memory without a drowning at the New Orleans city pool. Well, in honor of the occasion, 200 people gathered, including 100 certified lifeguards. As the party was breaking up, And the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool. They found a fully dressed body in the deep end. They tried to revive Jerome Moody, 31, but it was too late. He had drowned, surrounded by lifeguards, celebrating their successful season. What a picture of the church sometimes. We're gathering, we're hearing preaching, and we're enjoying the fellowship, and we're not noticing the people who need the truth. And we're not sharing it because we're too busy celebrating. We're too busy enjoying fellowship. And there's a place for fellowship. Definitely. We all need that. Sometimes that's all we do. And we're not sharing the truth. Many years ago in St. Louis, a lawyer visited a Christian to to transact some business. Well, before the two parted, his client said to him, I've often wanted to ask you a question, but I've uh, I've been afraid to do so. Well, what do you want to know, asked the lawyer. Well, the man replied, I, I wondered why you're not a Christian. The man hung his head. I know enough about the Bible to realize that it says no drunkard can enter in the kingdom of God, and, and you know my weaknesses. Well, you're avoiding my questions, continued the believer. Well, truthfully, I can't recall anyone ever explaining how to become a Christian. Picking up the Bible, the client read some passages showing that all are under condemnation that Christ came to save the lost by dying on the cross for their sins. By receiving him as your substitute and redeemer, he said, you can be forgiven. If you're willing to receive Jesus, let's pray together. The lawyer agreed, and when it was his turn, he exclaimed, Oh, Jesus, I, I'm a slave to drink. One of your servants has shown me how to be saved. Oh, God, forgive my sins and help me overcome the power of this terrible habit in my life. And right there he was converted. The lawyer's name was C.I. Schofield who later edited the reference Bible that bears his name. What a sad thing to say. I can't recall anyone ever explaining how to become a Christian. Well, I hope that my neighbors can't say that. I hope that my friends and family, my coworkers, this is getting convicting now, isn't it? even for me a growing christian shares the truth they don't just keep it for themselves they share it they let others know a growing christian number 4 is strong in grace and knowledge second peter chapter 3 verse 18 we mentioned it at the beginning again grow in grace and in the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ the way first Second uh, Peter begins, he begins with adding some things to your life. In verse number five it says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So he says, Here's some things you need to be adding to your life. In other words, growing in grace getting that knowledge, getting that faith, getting that virtue, getting that temperance, that self-control and patience. Or remember we talked about a couple of Wednesday nights ago where the fuse is growing the longer you're alive instead of shortening. And to patience, godliness. The godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. These things we need to be strong in and growing in. It's interesting that he opens the book with that and then ends it. The last thing that Peter ever wrote was grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Interesting to note. Second Timothy chapter two, Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace of of Christ. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things and it goes on down, talks about how we need to be sharing the truth. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the way, don't be strong in your strength. Don't be strong in your abilities and your flesh, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So a growing Christian is strong in grace and knowledge. And number five, we'll end with this thought here. A growing Christian is satisfied with Christ. Satisfied with Christ. You know, when you come to the point when God is all you have you'll find that he's all you need. The immature Christian says, yeah, I'm satisfied with Christ as long as I have my family and a nice house and a good job and food on the table and all my bills are paid, then I'm satisfied with Christ. But a growing Christian is satisfied with Christ alone. That should God take everything away from my life and all I have is you, Lord, I'm satisfied. A growing Christian can come to that point. Colossians chapter number three. Verses one through four say, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And I like this verse four. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, what is your life? I hope that Christ is the most important part of your life, that if everything else were ripped away, you'd be okay with just the Lord. God took away your money, your family, your health. God took away your all the material blessings that you and I so enjoy in this life, if God took that all away, would you be satisfied with just him? There was a man in the Bible, you know his name, who was faced with something similar to that. His name was Job. This guy was extremely wealthy. He had a lot of wealth, and yet God took that all away in one day. His family was taken away. His relationship with his wife was broken. His health was removed, and yet he did not sin with his lips to dishonor God. He was okay with just the Lord. Would you be okay with just the Lord? An immature Christian says, "Yeah, I love the Lord, but boy, I sure love my car. I sure love my house. I sure love my clothes." I sure love my fancy food. I sure love my, I appreciate those blessings in my life as well. But we need, a growing Christian says, I don't need those things. I enjoy them. But if I don't have them, I'm still okay with just the Lord. Paul said, Christ, who is our life. Not Christ and my car and my job and my nice uh, clothes. No, Christ who is our life. Ray Miller once wrote a poem, and here's how it goes. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Oh, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus in worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. Why? Because He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let Him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Can you say that? Can you say that? Well, I'll be happy in the Lord as long as I get married someday or as long as I get a really good paying job or as long as I get the first elk in elk hunting season. I'll be happy as long as... Would you be happy if none of those things ever came true? And all you had was the Lord? Or if he ripped it all away, like he did with Job? A growing Christian is satisfied with Christ. He's the only one that you need in your life to make you satisfied. Because when that's the case, then... Those blessings will come and go, as we all know. None of those blessings are permanent. And so we can be content with the fact that God is right there, and that's all we need. A growing Christian, are you one? Are you one? A growing Christian seeks to please God, not men. A growing Christian is willing to surrender their rights and not just hold on to all these petty things. willing to surrender those rights. A growing Christian shares the truth and a growing Christian is strong in grace and knowledge, becoming more and more gracious as the days go on. And then a growing Christian is satisfied with Christ. I hope you're a growing Christian. I hope I am too. And uh, hopefully today we'll take a step closer to the Lord. And as a result, I'm thankful again that he'll take a step towards us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word giving us some insight on what a growing Christian looks like. Lord, it's your desire uh, for us to be growing Christians. But Lord, I pray that you would help us in these areas to be evident. to where we're seeking to please you and not pleasing man. Easier said than done. I pray you give us strength and courage in those moments. Lord, help us to surrender our rights and not hold on to the petty things that we have been holding on to for a while. Help us, Lord, to share the truth and get to the point where we can articulate the truth of the Word of God. Help us to be effective witnesses for you And not just need the milk of the word all the time, but being able to handle spiritual meat that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you'd also help us to be strong in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help us to learn more and more of you as the days go on. And to exhibit the grace that you had, because you were full of grace and truth. Help us to have that same attribute in our life. And Lord, help us to be satisfied with you above above all. Help us, Lord, to be um, satisfied with you if some of the blessings get taken away. Help us to be okay with that, knowing that we still have you, and that's most important. Pray that you'd uh, help us now, in Jesus' name, amen.